So we're getting into Christmas. So we got to make an agreement, first of all. Can we all agree that food is an integral part of Christmas? Everywhere we go, I don't care if you go to the office, you go to a party, you go to some friend's house, you go say hello. Somewhere there's something to eat. Not that far away. You know, that's just the way it is. The season begins with a big Thanksgiving feast. That's really where we count the beginning of it. And it ends at whatever that last Christmas party is, or for some of you, maybe even New Year's evening, New Year's Eve. But even in the smaller bits in between things at work and all that kind of stuff, food somewhere of some sort kind of sort of nearby. And that may be one reason why when the new year arrives, weight loss programs and gym membership are high on the list because we just got done gorging ourselves pretty well. Now, I think we probably all have some family stories around all of this. I've got my own set of stories. So when I think of holiday meals and sitting down for, for meals and having that time together with family, I remember my childhood going to my grandma Heinel's house, Hulda, and she would do things this particular way. This was a more formal setting. She had the good china out. Everybody but her sat around the table. She pretty much hand-prepared everything. Between her and Grandpa, they got it done. And she wouldn't sit. We, we tried over and over to get her to sit and join us in eating. But her job that day was to serve everybody. And so she would just serve and then make sure we all had seconds and and all kinds of other things. And there was no buffet lines in that house until she got old enough where she really couldn't do that anymore. And then the rest of us kind of kicked in and go, I think we can do soup and salad tonight. Yeah. Um, it, we also had a tradition of ribbing my Uncle Gary for not liking pink stuff, which is a kind of cherry Kool-Aid or Cool Whip kind of salady thing that I loved, and for whatever reason, he did not like it, and we tried to get him to eat it, and he just refused, so it became one of those family jokes constantly going around. But there were more desserts, candies, cookies, you name it. Uh, You knew what was coming around, and everyone was satisfied. Uh, Well, we were more than satisfied. To be honest, we were stuffed when we left Grandma's house, and that was only the first meal of the day, because normally we had a second one a little bit later. But Kind of this is, this is what we're talking about today. This, in this Advent season, just to let you know, we're following along with the Vineyard series called Receiving the Blessing. If you haven't picked one up, there is a devotional book to follow. I think it's out by the door. Um, last week, Matthew talked about the blessing of living water and how it saturates, quenches, softens, and surprises us. And this week, because we're talking about food, uh, we're considering the blessing of the bread of life is where we're going. All right, so let's pray. Let's set this table up here a little bit more, and then we'll we'll really get to it. Lord, we thank you today that you've called us together to feast on your word and to hear from you and to receive. Lord, I pray that you give us exactly what we need today. Uh, Give us our daily bread in this moment and in this time that we can gather together. And we ask the Holy Spirit to just to come and to flood this place, illuminate the, the scriptures to... Show us more and more what you're like and how we can more enter into, more fully enter into what you have for us. And Lord, we just thank you for this time. These people, the folks online, the folks watching or listening later. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so the, the keystone verse to today is very simple. It's John 6.35, just even the first part of the verse. And it says this, Jesus said, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Now, this statement, I am the bread of life, is kind of the pinnacle revelation to a series of events that begins back at the, at the very beginning of chapter 6. So we're going to, I'm going to kind of bring all that out. We're not going to read the whole 59 verses. We're going to read pieces of it and paraphrase some of it along the way. But just to set the stage, we'll start in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, one of my favorite apostles, by the way, turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, Philip, being the kind of practical sort, said, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, who happened to be Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered above 5,000. Now, you know what happens next. You probably know the story. Jesus gave thanks to God for what he had. He began to break and pass out the bread and the fish. And the whole crowd, 5,000 plus, ate as much as they wanted. Verse 12 reports that everyone was full. Jesus told the disciples, now go gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Everyone had exactly what they needed. They were full. But that's not the end of the story because we haven't got to the verse we started with yet. That night, Jesus and the disciples crossed over to the other side of the sea. There's a miracle in between there. I'll let you look that one up. Um, The crowd, discovering that Jesus had left, began to search for him. Where did they go? We got to find them. I mean, this is important stuff. And what they basically searched and walked around the bottom of the sea and found him. What follows is one of the discussions that John peppers his gospel with. So if you read the gospel of John, you'll notice that there's a discussion with Nicodemus, a discussion with the woman at the well. There's a discussion with this, with the crowd, and there's other ones as well. And it really is that nice having that discourse. How did Jesus talk to people? So we have a discussion with the crowd. Now, the entire discussion runs from verse 25 to 59. So we're going to paraphrase this a bit. So the crowd discovering Jesus says, wow, when did you get here? And Jesus said, listen, you want to be with me because I filled your stomachs, but you're missing the point of the miracle. Don't be concerned with perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. And the crowd responded, we want to do miracles too. What should we do? And Jesus said, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And the crowd goes, ooh, that's a big ask. Show us a sign and we'll believe. Now, remember, this is the same crowd that just saw a gigantic sign, okay? And then they saw another sign, and they're still asking for a sign. But anyway, they did, according to Scripture, ask for another sign. 
And they, they even said, after all, Moses provided manna from heaven for 40 years. Do that and we'll believe. Now, Jesus said, uh, let me correct you on something. Um, it wasn't Moses that fed you, but it was God the Father. Now he's offering you the true bread from heaven. And the crowd goes, oh, cool, give us this bread every day. They still didn't get it. They seem to be only interested in signing up for what I can, lack, for lack of a better term, called God's food stamp program. Feed me every day. Maybe so they didn't have to work as hard. Maybe because they were, I don't know. But anyway, that seemed to be their focus was getting physical food. But it was after that point that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And that's what we're talking about. The blessing of the bread of life isn't for just that moment that we enter heaven's gates. It's for tomorrow and today and the next day and all the tomorrows that are yet to come. The bread of life that Jesus offers us fills us, satisfies us, and sustains us. And that's our framework for where we're going today. Fills, satisfies, and sustains. So on the fill side of things, we all experience hunger. And if I talk long enough about food this morning, come 1130, you're all going to be hungry for something. So, But there's other kinds of hunger as well. There's emotional hunger for connection and acceptance. Uh, there's hunger for purpose and meaning, um, hunger for uh, any number of things that we just think we need to have so that we're full and satisfied. The blessing of the bread of life is that Jesus fulfills all of these pangs of hunger that food alone can't touch. This is all about those empty places in our lives, those voids that we try to fill in uh, who knows how many different ways. So I could, we could at this point start a list of hungers, but let me just kind of poke at one this morning for this part of it. One hunger that most of us feel is a need for approval. Um, I'm sure that you have experiences like this, although they probably might vary, because I'm almost certain that all of us had at some point in time a look mom, look dad, look grandma, look grandpa moment. And those are the times when we spent time hand-picking dandelions and giving them to our mom or an artistic expression of finger painting that we hope is going to get hung on the refrigerator or that moment we're standing on the diving board going, hey, mom, look at me, and then we try to dive in and make ourselves look cool. We all have those moments where we want that attention. We want to know that somebody's watching. So early on, we kind of grew that need for approval. We need to know that. And like all pangs of hunger that we need, they can, those hungers can either drive us towards positive or negative actions and behaviors. Kind of what we do with them is what counts. So let me give you one of my examples on this one, the need for approval. So, oh, shoot, it's been quite a while. I worked for R.K. Dixon. Um, that's getting on 15, 16, 17, 20 years ago now, um, or even longer. Ooh. Anyway, time gets away from you. 
I remember one specific day. Um, one of the per, one of my coworkers was kind of a cantankerous guy that didn't really care what you thought and pretty much said things he shouldn't say. Um, and me and him, I wanted him to approve something we were doing. I wanted him to say, yeah, that's a good job. You should have, yeah, I'm glad you did that kind of thing, or that's what we should do. And we basically had a really big blowout disagreement on it. And I remember, I mean, it was hurt. It was disrespectful. It was cutting. There was a lot of things that went into it. And I tore out of the parking lot. Any of you guys ever do that? Would instead of leaving gracefully, you kind of accelerate as fast as you can to get out here? You know, okay, that's where I was at right in that moment. So hopefully you're with me a little bit. And that's when God spoke and said something along the lines of, why are you looking for man's approval when you have mine? And that was the day that balloon popped for me. That doesn't mean I still don't look for that, and I still am not grateful when there is approval, but it also means that if it's not there, God's still there. I can check in with him and see what's going on. That's part of the blessing of the bread of life. So when we speak about the bread of life filling us, I want to portray it in such a way that Jesus completes us. All those empty spaces, no matter how little or how big they are, all those, he will fill all those things that we add to our lives that may give us moments of satisfaction, but it is Jesus who completely fills that void or that emptiness that we feel. But that's only the first part, because now we talk about satisfy. What's it mean when we talk about the bread of life satisfies us? Now, being filled and satisfied kind of sort of overlap. There's a little bit of when you think about it, they kind of run over each other. Um, but there is kind of a difference between them. Think of it this way. Being filled is all about quantity. When after getting off of, after grandma, we ate a ton at grandma's house. Okay, quantity, also quality, but which we'll get there. Satisfaction, being satisfied is about quality. We can fill our stomachs with potato chips, cookie, and candy. Ask any 12-year-old, they'll, they can tell you that. And those things may provide us a momentary satisfaction. They, they do fill us up. We're not hungry anymore. Um, but in the long run, they don't provide everything that our body needs to grow and function correctly, right? We can't live on a diet of potato chips, candy, and cookies for very long. Eventually, that will catch up. I think I want to try, though, just to see if that theory is right. Um, so along with the need, say, for approval... Um, we also experience other needs that have to do with that quality of those things that we need to grab onto. And one of the, some of those are like the need for purpose and identity. We need to know that somehow and in some way we matter to others, our world and to God. And the crowd, back to John's story, the crowd felt that need when they asked, what do we need to do in order to do miracles like you do? And how did Jesus respond? What was satisfying beyond everything else? God only asks that you believe in Jesus, the one he sent. That is the ultimate satisfaction. Now, it goes a little bit beyond that. Um, it, I mean, it is that, but let me explain why that's satisfying and how, what the mechanic is a little bit. Now, I did not grow up in a church that utilized the Westminster Confession of Faith. I actually learned about it when I went back to college. Um, but their very first question in their catechism, 
in their confession of faith. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? We could say it this way. What is the primary purpose for humanity? And the answer that the respondent is to give is something along the lines of, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we could kind of say it again, a little bit more modern language. Humanity's primary purpose is to glorify God in all things and enjoy him forever. That's where our satisfaction is at. Because you see, it's not just that filling, it's the outgoing that, that seeks into our, seeps into our body and does something good for us. It's long-lasting. Paul put it this way, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Now, again, this is at the end of a long segment where Paul is actually addressing a disagreement that's happening in the church. But he concludes with this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. There's a huge blessing of satisfaction from the bread of life when we do that, when we bless God, when we seek his glory. Now, an old example, but one that you may know or may not know, is classical composer Johann Sebastian Bach. Now, I don't know how many of you guys are classic musical buffs and all that kind of stuff. Probably with this crowd, if you're like me, I'm more 70s rock and roll. I could tell you all about that, but don't get me into the classic composers. I know Bach, Beethoven, and that's about it. Only because some rock and roll genius put a song together in the 70s based on one of those songs or Trans-Siberian Orchestra or some other variation thereof. Um, but during his lifetime, Bach composed a lot of works. Um, and you may not be able to recall any of the titles. Part of the reason is their titles are really boring. Cantata in D major for something or other, you know, and very seldom do they have meaningful titles. There is one uh, that you may have heard of, which is called Jesus, Joy of Men's Desiring. Um, that's an old hymn of the church or became that. Anyway, the reason I bring up Bach is because he habitually initialed his handwritten compositions, SDG, which is not his initials. His initials, of course, are JSB. SDG is an acronym. stands for the Latin phrase, sole, dore, sole do deo gloria. And I not speak my Latin this morning, so I was out of practice. So sole deo gloria simply means glory to God, or all glory to God. Glory to God alone, depending on how you want to translate that. Now, Bach wasn't very famous in his lifetime, but his works have become more famous over time, and all of them portray his deep satisfaction in Christ because that was his desire to bring God glory through what he could do. There is just something about glorifying God in worship, what, however that means is, worship and service, doing things, speaking things, just loving on people that is deeply satisfying. So one of the examples for me is, I can't tell you how many, our small group meets on Tuesday night, typically. I can't tell you how many small group nights I get home from work and I'm going, oh, do we have to go? Yeah, I'm the leader. I got to go. Okay. Really? Okay, I'll go. But by the end of the evening, between fellowship and partaking of the word and spending time in prayer and worship, that is refreshing. There's a refreshment that comes out of it. 
I leave after a couple hours of hanging around people, which is different for me because I'm, I'm not the normal part that hangs around people. Um, I'm kind of more energized, which is unusual for me. Usually it's the other way around. Um, but that's because we're centered on God during those times and worship and praise and each other and loving. And it's cool and it's refreshing and it's building and it's satisfying. In a way... You know, there's a lot of talk about what's your identity? Who are you? You know, what, where, all, you know, you could dice and slice and dice that a couple of different ways. But let me tell you really what our identity is. I don't care what sign you were born under. I don't care any number of things that you might identify yourself with. I don't care what continent, what language you speak. If you belong to Christ, here's your identity. You are a worshiper and ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's your identity. That's who we are as believers. And then thirdly, the bread of life sustains us. Or you could put it differently, it strengthens us. Remember where this all started. A hungry crowd of people and a question, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And Philip answered, basically, it's impossible. We can't do it. We just don't have enough time. We don't have enough means. How many impossible things will we encounter today or encounter even during this Christmas season? The impossible family member. We all have them somewhere. I know that. The impossible deadline. The impossible to find gift. The impossible desire to eat everything in sight and not gain any weight. The impossible to conquer anxiety. The impossible to endure loneliness. The impossible to understand disappointment. And those are just some of the impossibilities that we may face. But yet the bread of life sustains us in all those and strengthens us in the midst of all these impossibilities, just like Jesus did to feed the 5,000. Jesus offers us himself. It's his strength. He can give us the answers when we have none. He can provide grace when our patience has run out. He gives us meaning and purpose and significance. He invites us to cast our cares on him, for he cares for us. He places the lonely in a greater family of faith. All of those things are answers to those impossible things because of the bread of life, because of Christ, because of Jesus. And all this began at Bethlehem. No, we haven't forgotten about Christmas. I know this hasn't been very Christmassy up to now. Um, Christ's incarnation, that night in Bethlehem, came to pass at a town whose name means, anybody know what it is? I'll, I'll play high school teacher for a moment and ask you a difficult question. If you don't know, I'll tell you. Anybody, anybody want to venture a guess, by the way, real quick? Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it is in the booklet. See, this is a test how many read the booklet. But anyway, joke going. <clears throat> the town, the Bethlehem, literally means house of bread. And I was fa- I'm fascinated by that night, by that time, that, that whole scene, because there's, God created such a tapestry of meaning in it all. In that night of Christ's birth, in the incarnation, 
You have the meaning of the stable and the humble birth. You have the meaning of the shepherds that weren't too awful far away and the lambs that they kept. You have the whole Bethlehem connection with King David and Ruth and the tribe of Judah and everything that was on that. You have the Magi seeking a king and the meaning in that part. And you have the meaning of the name of the town itself. It's amazing how God weaves these things together sometimes to show us things, to remind us of things. Now later, leaving Bethlehem behind and moving on, later Jesus would teach his disciples to pray. And in part, there's a line there that talks about bread, which you guys know, I'm sure. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, that phrase is more than just a request for food or a reminder to be thankful for the food that we do have. It is also a reminder, in my mind, that Christ is really our daily bread. Not our Christmas or Easter bread, not our every once in a while bread, not our weekly bread. He's our daily bread. It's in our abiding relationship with Jesus that we actualize, we bring to reality the sustaining quality of the bread of life, the strength that we need to face those impossible things. So just going to the store and purchasing a loaf of your favorite variety um, or finding a friend who will make it for you, taking it home and putting it in the pantry doesn't do much good, does it? It's only when we eat it that we are sustained by the bread. And Jesus explains how this works by using a different metaphor in John. So skipping out of bread and going to vines and branches, take a look at John 15 in verses 4 and 5. And Jesus taught this, Remain in me, and I I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That is the sustaining part of the bread of life that we partake in, that constant, that grabbing onto it. Or consider this, moving from this to kind of a modern-day parable that I cooked up. Um, It's the modern-day parable of Steve and Martha. And this is a really strange way of illustrating this, but I think you'll get it. Now, some time ago, Steve and Martha were married. It was a wonderful ceremony witnessed by family and friends. They had the reception. They had the cake. They had the dancing. They had everything that a normal marriage wedding time have. And then they left on their honeymoon for Maui. They had a wonderful time together. And when they each returned, and when they returned, they each returned to their own homes. Steve to his apartment downtown and Martha to the condo in Dunlap. They made sure to see each other on a regular basis, assuming that nothing else interfered, and have remained on friendly terms with one another ever since. But not much else has changed. I wonder why. You see, the daily bread is just like that. We can't have a wedding. We can't eat bread without sustaining us. We can't have a joining of relationship without time together, without sharing of things, without conversing, without doing all those things that friends do, just like Steve and Martha really weren't married. They went through the ceremony, but they really never were quite married in the real sense. 
we must partake daily to receive the blessing of the bread of life. We must find the time to turn our hearts and our heads towards Jesus on a daily basis. And in those moments of seeking, believing, and abiding, worship, and whatever, no matter how brief, Jesus fills us, he satisfies us, and he sustains us with himself. But here I don't want to be religious, and I don't want to be judgmental of ourselves or of others. You know, some of us, some of you, some, maybe somebody's not here, maybe somebody online, may have the luxury of an undisturbed hour to read God's word and pray, while others may only have the time to do so during their commute as they're dodging cars, and they may only have time to read a verse of the day email at break time. Both are valid. Like the loaves and fishes, Jesus multiplies whatever it is that you gave him. And that's the thing I want to put out. It's not, he'll multiply that out and he'll fill us with whatever we do give. 